Hey guys, it's Reagan here. We're going to be talking today about the metaverse. Uh, what is that? It's all over the news. Everyone's talking about it, and it's very confusing. So I brought on a couple guests, and we're going to discuss what is the metaverse, how should Christians think about it, what are the implications for our faith, for our work, for even our, our productivity as the world moves more and more digitally and kind of steps into this new world of worlds. So we'll get into that in just a moment, but I wanted to let you know that Redeeming Productivity Academy is now officially open. And if you don't know what that is, Redeeming Productivity Academy is my membership that pairs a training program to help productivity-minded Christians reach their goals with a community to keep each other accountable along the way. I've spent the last three months working with 50 founding members in a sort of pilot program, and we have honed this community and this program into something I really think is truly special. And I'm very pleased to announce that we are now accepting new enrollments for 2022. So if you are a Christian who is struggling to get organized, manage your time well, or you just want to be more productive for God's glory, you've really found your tribe here. So I invite you, come on over, join us, check out Redeeming Productivity Academy. There'll be a link in the description, or you can just go over to redeemingproductivity.com and click the courses button, and you can learn more about the Academy. All right, let's get into the show. How do we actually think well and Christianly about this? That's a different engagement than what we've had with social media and web too. And so with the metaverse, we we at least are, I hope, past the point of people snickering and saying, oh, this is going to be, you know, with Facebook, it's just a little novelty. Everybody's going to get on there. You know, yeah, right. Who's, who's going to be on Facebook? What's that? You know, it, we, we know better now. We know that the world is moving faster than it's ever moved before digitally. And so I think, or I hope pastors will say, okay, how can I use this space? How can I be thinking about this space, following this space for the sake of God's glory? Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Well, I'm joined today by Ian Harbour and Patrick Miller. Ian is the communications director of a local nonprofit in Denton, Texas, and he writes about digital discipleship, faith, work, marketing, fatherhood, and reconstructing the faith over on his Substack. And Patrick is uh, the pa a pastor at The Crossing, where he oversees digital ministries, and he also runs several excellent podcasts, uh, Truth Over Tribe, and a devotional podcast, 10-Minute Bible Talks. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Regan. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. You're doing some great work. I appreciate it. Well, you guys are doing some great work, too. Uh, the reason I, I wanted to have you guys on was you did an article last month in the Gospel Coalition on how to prepare for the metaverse, which, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, that the word is everywhere. Facebook, uh, if it wasn't already popularized, Facebook has put it all over the news with their with their name change to meta. But you guys wrote an excellent piece on this, and it was clear that you, you've both thought about um, Christianity with regard to technology pretty deeply. I just, this is such a, uh, an up and coming thing. I thought it would be an excellent thing to discuss a little bit more. So maybe a good place to start is what is the metaverse or what, what does that mean? 
That's a great question. And I, I think it's especially important right now. You know, after Facebook changed their name, the amount of articles I read or saw online from people, I mean, it's the Wall Street Journal claiming to spend a day in the metaverse. And I, and I laughed out loud when I saw it, not, not in a mean way, uh, but I, I was laughing because the metaverse doesn't exist. Uh, and yet right now, every company is claiming, you know, Disney Plus has a metaverse now, Microsoft has a metaverse now. And all of this is just marketing. The metaverse doesn't exist. The metaverse isn't a thing yet. Uh, and so what is it is kind of a funny question because it's more of a guess of what will it be? And what what is the goal? Like what's it heading towards? What do you, if they're, if they're when people talk about the metaverse, like long-term, I guess maybe that's a bigger question is who defines the metaverse, right? Like who, who are we looking to? Because if you ask, if you ask Facebook, they're going to be the owners of the metaverse, the fa Facebook, we're meta. Um, but if you ask other people, it's much bigger than that. It's funny because if you go back and watch like the hour and a half long presentation that Facebook did on Meta, they actually even say in the, that presentation, we are not going to be able to create this on our own. This is much bigger than our company. They're just trying to be on the forefront of it. And one of the buzzwords around the metaverse is the word interoperable interoperable i can't even say the word it's like what we have to get a whole new dictionary out now but interoperable which basically means um if you have a facebook account and a twitter account and an instagram account and all these different social media accounts you have different accounts on every single platform um but in the metaverse you will only have one account on avatar that can actually move between all these different spaces, all these different metaverses that are linked to each other that are, you know, different parts of, you know, put together by different companies, but uh, really they all work together in a certain way. So um, Facebook is not the only one that's creating the metaverse. There are lots of people that are working on it. And I, you're talking about what the end goal is. Um, one thing I like to think about it, and I've heard, um, it described this way too by meta is basically they're saying imagine how the way that we interact with the internet now is you have to pull up a screen of some sort and go to the internet uh, whether that's through an app or a website or different things like that uh, but in the metaverse whether that's through augmented reality where you're looking at something virtual through glasses layered on top of your physical reality or virtual reality where you put on a pair of VR headset and uh, go into a completely different space. You're not just going to the internet, you're living inside of the internet. And that's a completely different way of experiencing it because right now, as much as we feel tied to the internet with our phones, there's still that little bit of disconnection that we have. Uh, but once we put on those glasses and we're either fully immersed in it or through AR, it's in our physical world layered on top of it. There really is no escaping the internet at that point. Yeah, I think a helpful way of thinking about the metaverse, as Ian was just saying, is a world of worlds, an interoperable world of worlds in which I can travel seamlessly uh, as myself with my discrete digital property from place to place. Now, this might be kind of like uh, traveling from one country to another. You know, uh, if I travel from the United States to uh, Jamaica, for example, there's different laws in Jamaica and there's some things I can't bring with me <laughs> into Jamaica and the other way around. And so there might be some property I can't take into your world or I can't take into that world. But the idea is that I can be myself. I can have my stuff. I can take it to the different places where I want to live and move and have my digital being. And again, this is radically different than how we think about the internet today. I like Twitter a lot. 
if I go over to Instagram, none of my followers on Twitter, if they're on Instagram, know that I'm on Instagram. They have no way of, I, I can't take my followers with, with me. And along the exact same lines, the creative output that I put onto Twitter, it's not really my own. It's Twitter's, you know, mm -hmm. I, I produce tons of great content for Twitter or you produce tons of great content for Twitter. And what do I get in return? I get likes. Twitter gets a lot of eyes on screens. And, and again, the rewards accrue to them as a platform. In the metaverse, uh, there's more opportunity for individual creators, for individual uh, uh, digital property owners to, to own what they have and to carry it into different places and to reap the rewards for themselves as opposed to these uh, digital middlemen, whether that's Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple, uh, owning those things. It seems that the advent of Web3, a lot of this stuff around blockchain technology is what's enabling some of this or, or potentially enabling it um, into the future. I don't want to go too far down the technology rabbit hole, but is, <laughs> is that as you see that, is that what's opening up some of those digital property rights, some of that, you, you actually owning the stuff that you're doing I mean, and being able to take it from place to place? I, I think it absolutely does. If you go back to, so people talk about Web 1.0, which is kind of uh, the 90s up until the mid 2000s, and that was built all on open protocols. So, so the, the people who essentially built the infrastructure of the web upon which we're building, they haven't seen a dollar for their work because it was all totally open. And the web 2.0 is a social web um, and, and rewind to web, web 1.0. There's things called RSS feeds where, where you could gather content coming from a content creator, uh, but it, it didn't create a network effect. There was no way of having a bunch of people sharing an RSS feed all at once. And so people like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they essentially create proprietary RSS feeds that allow people to have a network where they can share their content with each other, but they're proprietary. <laughs> you, 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 again, you don't own what you have. Blockchain, or at least the promise of blockchain, one of its promises is exactly this. It's an open protocol. It's totally transparent. It's totally public. And it's a protocol upon which uh, technology producers, content creators can actually make stuff that's no longer owned by the intermediary. It's not owned by Facebook. It just lives on the blockchain. And no one owns the blockchain except for the people or the, 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 the mob of people who are invested inside of that blockchain. So Web3 is really the thing that's kind of here right now and beginning to take root right now. I mean, you're seeing this in uh, Web3 gaming, you know, where people are playing games and they're able to own their kind of Pokemon, if you will, <laughs> as little NFTs and property. And maybe you have a super leveled up Pokemon and I want to sell it to you, Reagan. And so I can sell it to you. And then maybe you'll go sell it to someone else because it becomes really valuable down the line. That's, that's the kind of world that we're talking about living in, right? Or at least in the metaverse. Well, and I think with the Web3 blockchain part of it, uh, this is all really, it is all tied together. It's all part of the same conversation. It is interesting when you talk about how, you know, Meta is creating all these different companies are creating it, but then talk about who owns it. You know, that's when I do think the conversation gets a little confusing because there's a whole bunch of different, we're, we're talking in categories that we don't have right now. And that's why I think this is a really important time. I think 2021 is 1991 all over again, where this technology is being developed for the first time and the ground is laid, but, um, but no one really knows what it's going to do. No one really knows what's going to happen. We just know it's coming. And so um, I, I do think what you're talking about right there is though, we've been able to take lots of things online. We've taken our social life online. We've taken our work online. We've taken a whole bunch of different things online, but with the blockchain, we take ownership online. And that's really the first time that's happened because we haven't really been able to own much online before besides a domain name and an email list. And that's about all you can own on the internet. But after this, you can own with NFTs and with blockchain and crypto, 
you're going to be owning all of these things in a digital world layered on top of your physical world. And so again, it's that furthering of things that we have are already living in. We're already seeing our physical identities and our virtual identities merge into one and become one thing. And uh, once you're able to own things that are actually yours, verifiably so, in a digital world, uh, then those identities are becoming even more combined together into, into one thing. And so it's, I, I think that's why a lot of people, there's obviously a lot of skepticism around the metaverse, and I think rightfully so in some ways, but I think that's one of the proofs of why this technology is going to happen and is going to work is because we're kind of already living in it right now, the early stages, we're just taking it to the next level. Yeah, it does seem inevitable. And I think, you know, just to make the connection obvious with with the productivity side of things, I think a lot of that owning your work, what you what you're doing online, actually uh, not being susceptible to what we call platform risk. You know, you can get banned from you build a huge following on Twitter or, or YouTube, for example, you get a bunch of ad revenue there and they shut you down. Me, I'm an independent content creator, so this is like super exciting for me because I I want that interoperability. I want more and more of my life, my work, my labor is is online. I think that's true for a lot of people, even if you're just working remotely. And so it does seem that it's inevitable that it's going to be more like that. Some of the confusion around it is, is due to like the media hones in so much on, and even um, Zuckerberg's presentation honed in on like, oh, you can have an avatar and you can float around with friends and people like, I can already do like second, what year did second life come out? Like early 2000s, you know, like it looks like you're doing that second again. life when it came out. You played I, I it, had you an say? account. I had an account. I did not. <laughs> I missed that train. <laughs> fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure which. Fortunately, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I love the way you guys are explaining it because I, I do think that that is, that's the real exciting thing but also as you point out there are there's implications to that with Ian with identity right and you guys talked about that in the article like a lot of us experienced in 2021 the or in 2020 the transition from like say 30% of your life was online to then 60 75 like i am more a digital person than i am a real life person like i just just hours wise and this promises for it to go more that direction. And so I guess the question is, what, is, what does that do from a Christian perspective to your, to your identity? I think it's a great question. There's an interesting TV show right now on Fox called Alter Ego. It's kind of like American Idol, except instead of having performers come on stage and perform for the judges, they come out in the form of digital avatars and they do their musical performance there. And the interviews with the people who are doing the performances are interesting. They, they all say, look, because of my physical appearance, I, I failed. Maybe it's how I look or, may, or maybe it's my social anxiety. I can never get on a stage in front of people and perform. But if you can remove that barrier of people either having to see me or people judging me by how I look, then I can be authentic. Then I can be true to myself. And in mm -hmm. fact, this avatar is in some ways approximating the real me more so than this flesh and bone, you know, blood circulating thing that I'm stuck in. And of course, I mean, this is incredibly platonic. <laughs> it's it's yeah. this incredible mind body split, uh, but it also fits with uh, the, the, the more modern turn where all of a sudden we no longer find our sense of identity externally. You know, you go back to the pre-modern world, 
if you were born as a peasant or a, a butcher or as a blacksmith, like your purpose was found within this external mm -hmm. community where you had a role to play. And of course, they thought God was the one who was ultimately ordaining and defining what your identity was externally. And then in the modern term, because there is no meaning outside of me, there's only meaning inside of me, I have to self-define, I have to self-create. And what better way to self-define and self-create than have an avatar through which I can act and people can perceive me i mean if you've ever seen those little bit bitmoji things I maybe mean, ever noticed how everybody's bitmoji is more attractive than they really are <laughs> <laughs> well of course they are because I, I am more attractive in my mind than i am <laughs> in real life and so and so it's it's scratching all of these existential itches that we already have yeah i think exactly what patrick was saying you know we're we're already living in a world where our identity is as customizable as the character in a game and you know i seeing that in so many different ways whether it is digitally or even physically in a lot of ways and you know like there are so many ways that we have just individualized ourselves and and said we are going to find what like what patrick said who we are from within whereas when you look at scriptures and the history of the church and everything identity has always been given to us by god we're made in the imago day in his image and that's actually really freeing because when identity is something that comes from within it's customizable it's something that you know was originally lost and you have to go find it yourself it becomes performative because once you find it you have to project it out into the world for everybody to affirm and and see mm -hmm. and you know embrace and and so it becomes this performative part of things where you have to project that in order to be accepted. And when it's given to you, when it's received by God, then that's not something you're chasing. It's not something you're performing for. You actually have rest and acceptance from God in you. And so all of this is really important when we're talking about just, I mean, current modern day issues that we're dealing with today. Uh, but again, just like what Patrick was saying, you, that alter ego show, it's worth just go looking at the trailer uh, on YouTube for one, just to see where technology is right now. When we're talking about AR, augmented reality, and you realize they are projecting someone's avatar onto a stage in real time, and the people physically there are not seeing anything physical. They are seeing a digital avatar. It's insane to see that technology. And then to realize that is a taste of what we're all going to be experiencing in the not so distant future and how we can customize every single thing about us in this other universe and project ourselves out the way we want to be perceived rather than how we are. In our article, um, Patrick read a really great line that said, the church is probably the last place where you're accepted as you are, not as you're projected. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really huge opportunity for us to where you don't have, you can strip away all those things exactly the way you are. We're going to accept you here. I, you know, Ian, as you're talking, you're making me think about just the anxiety epidemic that we're in the middle of. I mean, anxiety was already at its highest peak levels in 2019 and they've quadrupled, <laughs> no surprise, since then with the pandemic. Uh, but I think that anxiety is the uh, pathology of the modern mind precisely because we have so much optionality. I have so many different selves that I can be and it's not a given, I have to figure it out. And of course, we're all faced with the question of what if I choose the wrong self what if i project the wrong self like as i look at uh, these new marvel movies and marvel shows about the multiverse that's what they're all about right it's not one yeah. loki there's a million loki it's not one spider-man there's a thousand spider-men and the question of course is which spider-man should spider-man be and what happens <laughs> if spider-man chooses wrong and guess what i mean you just put my mind in a cgi costume 
And, and that's what the metaverse does to you as well, except you really do. It is a literal CGI costume and you're creating it and you're defining it. Well, I think, again, you're already seeing this. There's that really great article by Jonathan Haidt that just came out in the Atlantic, I think it was, talking about, you know, the experiment on teenage girls and just Instagram. And I mean, you know, you layering these these this data on top of each other where, you know, Instagram goes mainstream and anxiety spikes in teenage girls specifically. I really think it spikes on a whole generation. I understand there's differences, but I genuinely think it's even more widespread than that. But, you know, how these two things are related, the more performative we become with our identities, the worse off our mental health is. And that is a reality that we're going to have to deal with from here on out. And so, and that's one of the things that I think is really important for the church to understand is when we talk about things like our identities are, you know, the image of God and where they're received, not like these different things, they have real implications for people's mental health now, you know? And and a lot of times I think we talk about these things in really esoteric theological terms uh, when it's like, maybe maybe one of the reasons we're anxious is because we're performing for other people and we need to be receiving our identities from God. Not the only reason. Uh, there are obviously other things that go into that, but like, I don't know, let's look at the data and maybe consider that that is possibly something that's going on. And so as these technologies develop and uh, that becomes heightened even more because we're all doing that in spaces that we're not just creating profiles of ourselves, but we're physically projecting ourselves into a different you know, digital world, preaching that, discipling people in that, making that a key cornerstone of our spiritual formation of the church in the future. And I mean, really for the future, it means now, because we got to get ahead of it, that's going to be even more important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you guys talk in the article about how the church should respond to this. And I think that's the, that's the big if right now, it does seem that it's inevitable. The world is going this way. But history seems to indicate that the church is always the last one to get on the train. You know, we're like, we're always, we're always 10 years behind stuff. And sometimes, you know, you could argue that that's wise. Some, some trends, we shouldn't just jump on willy nilly, but with this, how, how does the church think about this? Do we, do we boycott it? Do we try to find a way to, to um, get back to the good old days or just hold, draw the line here and say, no, we're not going there. Or do we look at, at some of the pros of this and say, okay, we want to embrace that and we need to help prepare people for some of the potential cons to it? I, I think it's a really important question. And, you know, you could hit that from so many different angles. You could hit it from a missional angle. How do you reach people who are far from God? Mm-hmm. You hit it from a ecclesial church-based angle of what's it mean to be a church and how does church work? Um, but to, to maybe go backwards in time and think about a different example, I've thought a lot about the printing press. Um, Jonathan Rauch recently released a book on epistemology, uh, and he talks a lot about how the printing press changed how people thought, um, in part because it allowed them to store more knowledge uh, in an analog fashion inside of text. And you just didn't have access to that when you had to pay you know, a premium just to be able to own a book, much as make a book. Uh, but to press it further, you know, when, when the printing press happens, it causes this proliferation of pamphlets. And as you can imagine, it the, the bad actors are the first ones to take advantage of it because they see the opportunity. If I put this into print, I can say whatever I want and everybody's going to believe me. And so the Catholic church, which at the time, you know, was, was the church, the Roman Catholic church, uh, 
they really resisted and rejected the technology of the printing press, but there was a splinter group from within the Roman Catholic Church that really embraced it, and that group was the Reformers. You don't have a Reformation without the printing press. Now, they, they didn't use the printing press willy-nilly to say whatever they wanted. They did use the printing press to say things that you know the Catholic Church at the time was saying they, they should not say, and it allowed them not just to proliferate their ideas, but to translate the Bible into vernacular translations so that people could read it in their own language. It wasn't just in Latin anymore. And so it led to a tremendous amount of good. Um, it could also have arguably led to 200 years of religious wars where a lot of people died in Europe and might also explain why Europe is so secular today, right? So you see both the dark side and yeah, the bright great side. Point. And so that's where I kind of want to come at this from is saying, I think we have to be sober. We have to understand that there's going to be consequences to how we use this technology. Um, and yet we also have to have a certain amount of optimism of saying, okay, people are going to move into this space. And how is Jesus calling his people to uh, embrace it and to use it for good, not for evil? Um, and if it is as democratized as I hope it will be, I think there's actually greater potential for good than there was even in the social media era where you had you know, the algorithm czars determining what works, what doesn't work, and causing outrage and polarization in our country. I mean, so so th there might be some some net positives for us to, to go here. Now, I, I don't, again, I don't know how to answer all the specific questions, but I do think that these are old questions and, and we have old answers that might be able to guide us. Yeah, I agree. You know, the church did hop on the printing press pretty quickly and was able to print Bibles and, you know, get and that spread the Reformation and all that different stuff. I, I think that's obviously hugely important. You know, you're talking about the church always being 10 years behind or so, especially with uh, modern technology. That's very true. And I, there says something you said earlier that I think is really important. And we have to nuance this out a little bit is just, we obviously don't just want to use these technologies willy nilly. We want to be thoughtful about them. But I do think the church sometimes can be paralyzed by thoughtfulness. And I know that sounds a little like, wait, no, we want to be thoughtful. And of course we do, but we can we can be thoughtful for so long, we actually don't do anything. And so I think when we withdraw from a lot of these spaces, here's the deal. The congregation is not withdrawing from the spaces. Maybe a few individuals are, but as a collective, that is not the case. They are using the technology. They are in there. And man, why are we so outraged right now? Why are we so polarized right now? It Certainly, it's not everyone being discipled by their algorithms more than they're being discipled by their pastors. That's exactly what's going on. And if the church withdraws from those spaces, they're abandoning people to the powers of the algorithms. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. What I think is the unique opportunity of right now is, like I said, we're living through the people hearing, I saw this clip about um, David Letterman giving Bill Gates a hard time about the internet in like 1995, something like that, you know, and Bill's like, no, it's going to be a thing, you know, but David Letterman just didn't get it. We're living through that right now, except with the benefit of the internet, we actually have access to all the information we need to be able to watch this happen in real time. And so what I think we need to prepare for, we need to be doing to not get 10 years behind again is have the conversations we're having right now. So that you know, with the, let's just say the metaverse is 10 years away. It's not 20, 30 years down the road. And we're still talking about how do we use the metaverse thoughtfully? We actually put in that work beforehand. And so we were able to be on the leading edges of it when it came. And, and I think one thing pastors need to know, and too few, know, and I'm a pastor, <laughs> uh, too few know this, 
if we don't if we don't move into the uh the neighborhood of the metaverse other bad actors will in the name of christ it will happen right now 19 of the top 20 facebook pages this is from an mit report i'm not just making this stuff up 19 of the top 20 christian facebook pages are run by foreign troll farms wow Did you say 19, 19 of the top, top 20, 20? Wow. 19 of the top 20. And by the way, the, the, the number one is, is two times as big as a number two. So we're talking about massive, massive Facebook pages that are being run by foreign troll farms. And they've got a whole strategy behind this and, and they're, and they are discipling people. And they're saying all kinds of, you know, kind of everyday bland Christianese stuff, but you know, one out of every 10 is a little bit of insanity. And if you don't think people in your church are on those Facebook pages, well, of course they are. If you didn't offer them anything differently, I mean, do I think Jesus is going to hold me accountable for that? Maybe, probably. I, I, I have to at least consider it as a possibility. And so with the metaverse, we, we at least are, I hope, past the point of people snickering and saying, oh, this is going to be, you know, with Facebook, it's just a little novelty. Everybody's going to get on there. You know, yeah, right. Who's, who's going to be on Facebook? What's that? You know, it, we, we know better now. We know that the world is moving faster than it's ever moved before digitally. And so I think, or I hope pastors will say, okay, how can I use this space? How can I can be thinking about this space, following this space for the sake of God's glory. I think one thing it's important to say too, is because I know there's probably a lot of pastors that are listening to this app. I've hearing Patrick and I talk probably feel very overwhelmed by a lot of this and that's understandable. They are understandable. And I want to, I want to speak to that for one second, because, you know, Patrick and I, we have a friend who's a pastor that we talked through a lot of this with his name is Brad Edwards. And, um, I, I don't expect pastors to be experts in the metaverse or let's forget metaverse in social media and any of any of this different stuff. I don't think that's the thing. I, I do think there's one it's being on it and engaged with people, but two also empowering your congregation, empowering volunteers, honestly, hiring staff that is theologically trained and qualified in these technologies, because those two things are very, very important to have together when we're talking about all these things and being able to just have a plan in place to effectively use these tools. Uh, Patrick is doing this with all kinds of different things with podcasts, YouTube videos and blogs and, and a whole bunch of different things, just in web two, much less web three, which is, you know, coming. And um, so I, I do think there's layers to this where it's not all in this password. It's like, okay, so this pastor is thinking like, you mean I have to like have this avatar of myself and have to understand all these technologies. It's like, well, let's take this one step at a time. Maybe there's someone that you can bring on your team or someone in your church who does understand these things. But I do think we need pastors preparing their congregations for the formative or deformative uh, things, ways that it's going to affect us and disciple us in the future so that we're prepared for it. I do think we need theologians thinking about the high level of this, of how do we actually think well and Christianly about this? People are way smarter than me who are, who've put in thousands and thousands of hours to think about these things. And I will say, I think in this time, integrating faith and work is probably never more important. Uh, we need Christian engineers and developers working at these companies, starting their own companies, supported, maybe even if possible, funded by the churches that they go to, to make these spaces not as terrible 
is maybe like the Facebook algorithms have been for us. Because if we can, instead of reject these things, but actually be on the forefront of thinking about it, of, of thinking about it theologically, a spiritual formation, and how to actually proactively create them, um, that's a different engagement than what we've had with social media and web too. Right now is the time to do it. I mean, we're, we're on a Discord channel that we just started yesterday. <laughs> and a guy hopped on there and he's a, he's a THM student and he's also an NFT developer. Uh, and I was like, I love this because guess what? Now is the time where you can get in at the ground level. And, and, and like Ian just said, be the programmer, be the developer who says, how can we use this system for good, not evil? How can we use this for shalom, for flourishing, not for uh, the, the vandalism? of Shalom, you know, but I, I would love to see seminaries start training people to think theologically about how do you engage on the internet and not just think about it, but the skills and how to do it so that you have social media marketers, you have database experts, you have uh, developers and engineers who are coming out of theological education with the skills they need to do whatever that next thing is. Because again, it's it, I mean, as a pastor, it's really hard. I mean, who am I? Do I hire someone who's got expertise in social media marketing, but has no theological background? So they're just going to bring this celebrity model over my church where their goal is to make someone become famous one day or this brand mentality of I got to grow a brand and be a brand person. Or do I get someone who has theological expertise, but has no idea, you know, it's like the, the Google ad AdWords. What, what are we talking about? Is this, uh, you know, and so you just kind of got to pick your poison of which one you want to do. And we've been lucky here to have great people who were willing to shore up their weaknesses on one side or another, but that's takes years of training inside of the church. And that's time most pastors don't have. That's where our seminaries are supposed to come in and serve them. Yeah. I love that. You know, my, my background, I came from doing um, digital platforms for a large media ministry with grace to you. And that is so much, so much of it is the process of, of translating theologically, you're, you're building a philosophy of how you use media as a Christian organization, how do you accomplish the purposes of reaching people without just copy pasting the strategy of like you're saying the brands or what everyone else is doing, but you're, you've actually ripped it down to the studs and you're building a philosophy based on the scriptures, based on what you believe God's called your ministry to do and how you would do that as a Christian. And it's hard, it's hard enough to do that in web 2.0. There's not a lot of people doing that. And thankfully we've caught up a lot, but I love, I mean, what I hear you guys keen in on is the opportunity is unbelievable. I mean, if you could, if you could roll back time to the beginning of the internet and have, have Christians in there, and I'm sure there were Christians in there, but shaping the direction of that, I mean, we're talking about something bigger than being a part of, of, you know, designing and building a city. It's basically a whole new, like you said, world of worlds. And to be a part of that is, is, I don't know, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is. I think our, our theology and our understanding of the sufficiency of scripture, we need to believe that that is strong enough to bear the weight of new technology, even though, you know, the Bible might not talk about the metaverse or NFTs or web three or any of this stuff, but the principles there, the anthropology, the theology proper, it is there, but we have to do some work. We have to do some thinking. And a lot of it, one of you mentioned with the, the Facebook thing, thinking about it too long, right? Like you said, Ian, you spend too long thinking about it. Some of this stuff you have to learn in real time. You start trying stuff and 
you learn how it works and you start experimenting. There's nothing to be, um, there's nothing like just getting in there and getting your feet wet. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the good news. I, I read someone recently who said you only need to have about three months worth of study to become an expert on web three, which is probably an exaggeration, <laughs> but it's actually not that far from the truth. Uh, and it is, and I will say that there are some barriers to entry because there aren't a lot of books out there. There are some podcasts that you can uh, listen to. Uh, there's some interesting discord channels that you can get, uh, sorry, discord servers that you can go and, and be a part of that kind of thing to, to start thinking about the conversation, but even just saying, okay, I can't do it, but I would love to have some conversation partners some people who I can collaborate with and they're going to give me ideas and you're going to give me ideas. That's what I love about Ian. Me and I haven't known each other that long. We just happened to be talking about the metaverse several weeks before Facebook changed their name. And <laughs> like, I guess we should write something about this. Uh, but it was that collaborative interaction. I've learned so much from Ian and, and, and how he thinks about both web two and web three and the metaverse. I've learned a lot from him and, and that's shaping my thinking and helping me to engage it more deeply. And so I'm grateful for that. And that'd be my encouragement is find a place where you can have those conversation partners. Yeah, I want to just agree with everything Patrick just said. I think having those conversations is so important and the amount of things I've learned from Patrick. Patrick is so knowledgeable and he is his feet are thoroughly wet in this space and I and learning from him in that way. And you know, it's crazy since that article's been published, you know, we were been talking, we had some thoughts that we thought were worth sharing and so we got them out there. Since that's been published, I feel like I've learned so much more. Um, I, I have a friend who he just left his job to go work in Bitcoin, which I did not understand. And we and he gave me an hour and a half rundown of of Bitcoin, and that has brought even more layers and more dimensions to how I understand all of this. And so, all that to say, like there is there are a lot of layers here. There we are thinking and talking in categories that we have not had to think through and talk about before. And that makes it difficult. It is kind of like speaking a new language. And I understand the intimidation of all of that, but it is, I think having those conversations with those people who are a little bit ahead of you, who are in it a little bit more um, and can explain it to you, the resources are developing out there and becoming more plentiful. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, discord channels and discord servers and, and uh, you know, collaboration, like Patrick said earlier, we literally started a Discord yesterday called the Non-Fundable Tolkien's. Oh, got to play. That's oh. Ian's name. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little cheesy. I could tell by the way you said it that you really are proud. But of you it. love it. But but you love it. Well, and send so, me an invite. Anyways, I, that yeah. Fun. And so, and we, anybody, you know, I mean, seriously, anybody yeah. listening to this, you're welcome to join us on the non-fungible Tolkien's Discord server because, I, again, this is where it's the conversation. If you can get into one little space where you're talking with people, it's going to help you, and you won't be able to do everything. This is Ian's point. I know so many pastors who are just overwhelmed with running a friggin church you know it's like that mm -hmm. is hard exhausting work especially right now i, mean, I heard from a pastor who told me uh, this is from a friend of a friend but that you know uh, three years ago they they sent out 150 uh christmas cards you know two years ago they sent out 75 now they sent out 25 and, and the point was like it's hard running a church. Like it's hurting my relationships. It's hard to keep these relationships up. And so I feel for pastors out there who are trying to say, Hey, how, how do I, how do I add this in? And it might just be one small element. If you're a pastor, you are a content creator. I don't care who you are. You do, you, you are Sunday comes, you've got content to create things to put out there into the world. And if you can figure out how to 
bring some of that discipleship mojo uh, between, you know, Monday through Saturday and the digital spaces where people are living, you're going to bless the people who are at your church. And if Christians who aren't pastors who are listening to this podcast are able to say, hey, how can I be involved in making these spaces ethical, making these spaces kingdom oriented, uh, helping my church and my pastor, taking my part in, <laughs> in, 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 in how to uh, share Jesus online? And, and how can I be part of that? If you can be a part of that conversation, a lot of people, again, on that same Discord server, most of them aren't pastors. There's Christians just saying, hey, how do we engage in this new world? I think there's going to be something special that happens when those conversations really come to life. Patrick, I, you know, it's interesting that you just said that pastors are content creators. And I think a lot of people might hear that and think like, oh, like cringe a little bit. And I think, I think for me, like I'm a marketer and we talk about marketing in the church and I just feel like the 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 cringe from the people that I'm talking to when I talk about that and I understand like when it comes to technology and content creation and marketing and all this different stuff like it can feel like icky at times and I know I understand that's that can be a hurdle for people to jump over I again it goes back to what we were talking about before I think we're what we're not talking about is let's copy and paste all of the tactics and strategies and ways of the world and just do it for the church, right? I think the that one episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill with the brand was such an interesting case study in that where like, you know, you listen to those guys talk. I agree with a lot of the things that they were saying, uh, but they just copied the same strategies and made a celebrity out of this guy. You know what I mean? And so I think what's not what we're talking about, I think it's really like there are principles and there are tools here that instead of just outright rejecting, let's think Christianly about them and adapt and apply in a way that actually makes sense for our church and the flourishing of our congregation and reaching more people. One of the things you come across when you're looking at metaverse in the broader culture is, at least in the fictional representations of it, it's always like accompanied by a dystopian reality, right? Like if, you, if you've read the book Ready Player One or see the movie or it's Snow Crash, like it's always like awful, like the real world's terrible. So everyone's escaping to this metaverse. And it was one of the things that's funny to me is like Mark Zuckerberg did not help that at all because his presentation was so creepy, but it, it seems like the kind of thing that people would be hesitant to want to get involved in. And yet, we, I mean, we're all, everybody's jumping in. Uh, but my, I guess my question is, are those necessarily connection or is that just the fictionalization? Like what happens when everybody goes on online, everyone's in there doing their headsets or, or doing, doing things through augmented reality. Um, what do we lose in that equation? I mean, what's the, we've talked a lot about some of the upsides. We've talked about a lot of the downsides too, but what are we losing even beyond identity just from a time aspect or I don't know, reality. It's a really reality. good <laughs> It sounds terrifying when you go, what do we lose? Reality? Is it just reality or, or is it something more important? Yeah. We have a buddy who uh, is on Twitter spaces was describing the future. And he, he very much so uh, described kind of this Blade Runner-esque reality where global warming is going terribly and there's pandemics every other year. And so no one wants to go outside and we're doing less life in public. And so no surprise, we're going to be online. And um you know, it, it is interesting. The pandemic really, really uh, accelerated this. We're, we're talking on Zoom right now, and there isn't a person listening to this who probably hasn't been on Zoom at least once and probably much more than that 
in the last year. If you went back just two years, the majority of the audience maybe has never even heard of Zoom. They probably haven't done a Zoom conversation before in their lives. They probably didn't have any coworkers that that they that they worked with remotely. Um, and and in a matter of months, all of that changed. And so it does highlight that there are these uh, watershed moments that that accelerate us forward. What I think is interesting about the pandemic is that we never seem to come back from them. Right now that we're living more life on Zoom, yes, it's I, I'm not on Zoom as much as I was in in April of 2020. However, I am on Zoom way more than I was in uh, February of 2020. I can tell you that much. And so I do think that there will be more and more events that uh, press people towards uh, this, this online reality. And it, and it is difficult to you know, understate that. But you know what's lost is I, I, th I think it's hard to describe. Um, we we're made for a place, you know, there's some really interesting biblical theologies of place and how we think about uh, land and, and stuff and the materialness. And, and, and I think something's lost if we lose our connection to that physicality. I mean, I, I say this really seriously. I think everybody should have a hobby that you, you, you get your hands dirty with, you know, whether it's woodworking or exercising, or in my case, I love smoking meat and I love, you know, processing the meat. I know that sounds probably weird to some people, uh, but it's one of my passions. Like you should have something where, 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 where you're, you're connected deeply with your physical reality. And Jesus, I think set the example for, for us by being a construction worker for most of his life, not, you know, a, uh, itinerant preacher most of his life. And so, and so I, th I do think that there's some things that, that get lost. I, I also don't know to what degree humans can actually leave those things behind. I mean, if you spend your whole day on Zoom calls, you don't walk out feeling enriched and full of life. You know, you, you want to just shut everything off and grab a book or grab a brisket and, you know, make something. Yeah, I think we maybe underestimate the power of escapism. I mean, I think that's so much of, of what draws people to certain things is absolutely escapism. It's probably why all of this is going to work too, is because it will be a pretty great escape. Not going to lie, you know, most likely it could be. And so I, I agree with a lot of what Patrick just said. I, I think, um, you know, I've, always had a passion about being really, really local. just about being super local. Even honestly, even doing stuff like this sort of weirds me out because it's not local. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've, I've hosted two podcasts of my own that no one has ever heard of because they were meant for a very specific local group of people. You know what I mean? And so um, that's honestly where I'm most comfortable. And I, I do think there is something that's lost there of once you disembody from any sort of space, and you're already seeing it, but even more so with all of this that we're talking about, what gets left behind where you actually live, the actual community that you're in, when you're not getting involved in, you know, the local community, your local clubs, your local coffee shops, your, you're not your local government and politics and different things like that. What, what are you, what forces are you leaving that to when you withdraw from that for something that's uh, bigger than that, but more ethereal than that. I think so many, I mean, even today we're talking politics, like everyone's focused on national politics. No one's focused on their local politics. Like what would happen if we did drive back down to these local levels and just think about that, just what's happening in my own community. Um, and so it's already easy to not feel local. It's so easy just to move wherever you want to move just because you felt like doing it. Um, but being able to stay grounded in one place in the article, one thing we talked about is the gift of limits. Hmm. What if you can't be everywhere all the time? What if you are just sort of where you are? 
um, and and that, and you're not trying to get somewhere else uh, for the sake and the purpose of escaping where God has actually placed you to be. If God really does appoint the times and the boundaries and the places that people live, maybe we should take that pretty seriously of going, maybe God has me in this spot for a reason and for a purpose. And instead of just going somewhere else, because I would like to, or because um, I'm trying to escape things here, um, really investing where you're at. And so um, I do think there's a possibility of losing that. I'm not, again, I think the metaverse is not all bad. When it's here, I'll probably be engaging with it. We're, there's all this talk about digital minimalism. I'm kind of a digital maximalist, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but that has to be counterbalanced with mo- even more so local engagement than you than you have uh, bigger engagement like that. Ian, you're making like me think that. of uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, you know, who's this Frenchman who sees the failure of the French Revolution. Uh, and the success of the American Revolution and can't figure out why, you know, why does one work and the other one doesn't work? And so he goes to America and he travels around to try and find an answer to his question. And his conclusion is that Americans, uh, they, they didn't expect their their magistrates or their uh, higher level, we, we might say today, federal level authorities to solve their problems. He said that Americans consistently formed local associations to work for the common good. And this is what really set them apart from uh, Frenchmen who were looking to, again, the aristocracy or a government. And yet he, he warned that a future dystopia might be on the way where Americans isolate themselves from their local community and everything falls apart. And I, I just got to read this great quote from him because you totally made me think of it when you were talking, <laughs> Ian. This is what he says. This is, this is a description of the future possible dystopia in America. And it's eerie when you read it. I mean, this guy wrote in the you know early 1800s. This is what he said. He says, each of them in this dystopia withdrawn and apart is like a stranger to the destiny of all the others. His children and his particular friends form the whole human species for him. As for dwelling with his fellow citizens, he's beside them, but he doesn't see them. I'm like thinking about people at their phones, you know, they're at a party, they get up. He says, he touches them and does not feel them. He exists only in himself and for himself alone. And if a family still remains for him, one one can at least say that he no longer has a native country. It's just like, it's bizarre reading it because he nailed it. I mean, I do think that's the risk we run whenever we totally disconnect from local community, local connection, local relationships. Uh, We become isolated and uh, we lose our interest in in the communal whole. And I think that's one of the things that the church will have to offer in the midst of the shift, even already, like even among people I've talked about with my Christian friends, but even people that aren't Christians, I've heard more and more people um, talking about downsizing. A lot of of people have bought rural land, a lot of even people talking about communal living more than ever before, almost as a, uh, I think as some sort of, you know, pushback against um, the isolation from COVID perhaps. But it reminds me, my wife often says, um, how do people that don't go to church, where do they meet their friends? Because there are very few institutions where you locally associate with people. You know, it was that book Bowling Alone. I mean, it was like 2005, you know, about the death of the, uh, of clubs and things like that. I think you were alluding to some of that. Um, but if the, if the church maintains itself as a local assembly, even in the midst of the rise of this, it may be one of, and already is, I guess, one of the few places where you actually can have in-depth real relationships with people in the midst of a world that's getting more and more digitized and 
physically isolated. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is, you know, a lot, of, a lot happened with churches going on to Zoom, doing the live stream stuff, which is great. It's wonderful, right? A lot of conversations about that of church in person and things. But um, I think a temptation a lot of pastors might face is, oh, the metaverse is coming. Let's get the live stream on the metaverse. I can be a little, you know, digital emoji preacher. Um, but there's something to the physical church that it might be able to offer to counterbalance things, I guess is what I'm theorizing. Interesting in your thoughts on that. I think the church has to figure out how to ride this line between engagement while also staying a counterculture. And that's a really, really hard thing to do. I mean, you mentioned the live stream. It's funny. I apparently Patrick and I both have this vendetta against the like online campus idea just because, you know, Patrick had this great line that we were talking the other day. He said, it's a skeuomorphic way of engaging social media skeuomorphic you know if you don't know what that is it's like if if you it's a in design like if you look at an app your app in their contacts app and it looks like an actual address book that you would have in 1990 that's skeuomorphic design right that's not native to the platform they're taking something from one thing and just raw translating it over to the other thing without any you know actual intent on how this thing actually works that's a lot of what you're talking about of just like, oh, the metaverse is here. I'm just going to make a normal looking church where we do all of normal looking church things in the metaverse. And that will replace the church I go to now because now I go to this church in the metaverse instead of this church in my community. Right. And so like that's not like a, a helpful way of engaging it. Right. I think what you have to look at is how do in the metaverse just be a normal person there the way everyone else would be and engaging with those people as a human being in order to create stronger in-person local relationships right and so you're actually just showing up to where everyone else is showing up as well and engaging with them there but that's in order to create those stronger bonds there i think the church will always shine brightest as a counterculture to the predominant winds of of culture in a lot of ways and so if everything, if everyone is disembodying, if everyone is becoming less and less local, more and more global, I think the church is going to really shine when we actually resist a lot of that and be more embodied and be more uh, local and focus more on those things. So I do think there is a healthy digital resistance that the church can have. Um, but it's, it's just a difficult balance of like, how do you show up and engage it? But for, you know, can you have two physical engagements for every one digital or, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. what's no the balance actually going to no, be? There's no prescription for right. this, but I think that's where a lot of wisdom and discernment has to come into it. And again, not just be paralyzed, but get in there and, and be afraid to fail a little bit on your way to figuring it out. Yeah. You know, and along those lines, it's just going to create new challenges. You know, our, our church has a live stream and it's up every single weekend. I think it's a really high quality live stream. And I, I'm glad we have a live stream because I know there's a lot of people out there who will never step into our foyer without going online, seeing what we're about, checking out what a Sunday morning service looks like, because that's just what they expect. And if the world is increasingly becoming a place where you don't have to leave your house to buy the clothes you want, to get the food you want, to have uh, the entertainment experiences you want, think about how hard it is going to be for someone who never goes anywhere else to come inside your church. Like they're just taking a step of, I've never been to a church before. It's like, I literally don't go anywhere. And now you want me to go somewhere? You know, I, it, I just, I don't, I don't know how they're going to make that jump. And so are, are you going to have to have churches that figure out how to do Sunday morning uh, in a, in the metaverse? 
Yeah, probably. I would guess that's probably the case. I don't know what it's going to look like. The interesting question for me is uh, more so, how does that church help people? Not just because get, since you're in a global environment, not just come to your church because they might not be in your area, but how are you helping those people connect with the local church where they're at? How are you going to help them take that next step there? And then to Ian's point, realizing that the, the goal here is not to have a meta church. Like the goal is not to have like a church online. Like I, I think you're going to have to have it. Like I'm, I'm kind of granting that, but I think Ian's broader point is saying, don't focus on that. Figure out how to natively talk about Jesus, share Jesus in this space, how other people are doing it. This is why I love pastors who are doing things like Substack newsletters. Like everybody's signing up for Substack newsletters. That's brilliant. Start a newsletter that your church can benefit from. That's native to what they're doing. You're not trying to start a church on Substack. You're just doing a newsletter or you start a podcast or whatever it is. Like you find a native way to start engaging with people online, discipling them online. I don't know what it's going to be in the metaverse, but you've got to figure out a way to do it. And it's going to have to be a part of your job description as a pastor, because you're going to have a lot of people who aren't used to coming to your building the way they are. I mean, we've had pretty good success getting people back here. We aren't even close. We aren't even close to 100% of attendance, not just for church on Sunday mornings, but events and classes and all the other things we do here. We aren't even close. And I don't know any churches that are close unless they're very, very small. Um, so all that to say, we're, we're going to face some new challenges and we're beginning to face them right now. Well, gentlemen, I, I really appreciate this conversation. This has been really far ranging and, and interesting to me. Hopefully it's interesting to people listening too, because we're kind of nerding out on this. Where are some places people can get started? I mean, I know there's a lot of articles. I'm going to link to your guys' article as well. Uh, and, and as well as your podcast, uh, Patrick and Ian, to your newsletter. Um, but what about if someone is trying to dip their toes into the deep end of the metaverse, where would they begin? Well, I, I'll say this. The conversation around whether it's Web3 or the metaverse, the, the publication cycle is too slow. And so if you're reading a book, you're probably also already at that point somewhat behind. And there just aren't many books out there on this. And I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I love books. So that's where I started. I'm like, where's the book on the metaverse? I'm like, oh, oh shoot, <laughs> there isn't one. I don't even know where to go. Uh, the conversations are this. It's, it's finding good podcasts that are talking about these topics. There aren't a lot of Christian podcasts. I, I, I will say this. I don't know what's going to come of it. But uh, in all seriousness... Uh, you're welcome to join our, our Discord server. People are sharing articles on there. They're sharing what they're learning. They're having dialogues. I think that's a great place to start. So maybe we can link to that. And and anybody's welcome yeah, absolutely. to join that uh, as long as you're not a troll. I mean, this is Middle Earth after all, so I know that they're out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think beyond that, you know, there are a few good places. Uh, people like Chris Dixon, that's great for Web3. A guy named Matthew Ball has something called the, the the primer to the metaverse that I think is also an excellent starter on the metaverse. Not, not, neither of those people are Christian, um, but they might be places to uh, continue your journey. There's a really great podcast that was produced by Adweek called Metaverse Marketing. So you can understand why I listen to that podcast. And um, it is marketers with unfettered optimism, no theological grounding, talking about how incredible the metaverse is going to be. And that's honestly exactly why you should listen to it, uh, because it is the ultimate grand dream vision of what people want it to be without a vision of God as part of it. And there are a few episodes in there that I think would be particularly uh interesting, I'll put it lightly, uh, for pastors to listen to, uh, because it will give you a really great vision of if, if we got everything that we wanted, 
this is what it would be like. And that's what people are working towards right now. And I swear after that, listening to that podcast, you're going to figure out who can develop and write code in your church. And you're going to have a conversation with them because you're going to want them to get involved with that. So I would really highly recommend to that, recommend that podcast metaverse marketing by Adweek, uh, because you're going to get a vision of what's coming. And, uh, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things just as an aside, the optimism around all this is infectious and it's mostly by unbelievers, but the optimism around web three, even if you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and the stuff around meta metaverse is very interesting. And it, it's, it's one thing that strikes me. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you guys, and I've talked to people on here before about Bitcoin, things like that is, man, we're such curmudgeons sometimes, uh, you know, and we obviously we, we have, you know, theology that, that controls the, the, our definition of utopia, you know, or, or the limits to what utopia could look like here. Um, but I, I would, I would really love to see more Christians with a little bit more open-mindedness maybe is the right word, uh, and optimism about how God, just, just as he used the printing press in the past, and just as he has used the internet to spread the gospel, how could, how might God use this new technology and use us to use this new technology to actually bring glory to him, to actually uh, magnify his name. And that's something we should be thinking about, not not fearfully, not blindly either, but thoughtfully and prayerfully. So I appreciate you guys leading the way on this. And I hope you continue to write on it because I really love what you guys are coming out with. And I will be in the non-fungible tokens by the end of this day. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yes. <laughs> the problem is I'm a huge troll. So you'll probably ban me right away. <laughs> just a matter of time got rules just make sure you follow them. <laughs> okay fine i'll try <laughs> well gentlemen i'll drop links to everything in the show notes appreciate your time uh let's stay in touch uh, i'd love to connect on this more perhaps through uh oculus in the future <laughs> see you in the metaverse <laughs> see you in the metaverse <laughs> thanks so much god's blessings on your your work in this program yeah Regan, i've been a long time listener of yours love the podcast and uh thanks for having us on and talk about this Thank you.